0: You have to get your narrative out there. You have to get your brand out there. You have to look at how you solve for a problem out there. You have to be able to collaborate very strongly, partner, because this is an ecosystem waiting for people to to solve for very, very hairy problems.
1: That's Monique Morrow speaking. Monique is a former Chief Technology Officer at Cisco and is the current president and co-founder of The Humanized Internet, a nonprofit organization focused on providing digital identity for those individuals most underserved. I'm your host, Lisa Kristen, welcoming you back to another episode of Level Up Your Leadership, the podcast exploring how 21st century leaders acquire the skills they need to thrive in the ever-changing digital workplace. Monique Morrow really knows tech. As I mentioned, she was the former CTO at Cisco, one of the world's largest tech companies, and is currently president of not just the one humanized internet, but another tech organization that's utilizing blockchain. She's also president of the Vetri Foundation, helping you by providing tools so that we each have control over our digital selves. Now, Monique has been recognized for her work with about a gazillion awards, She was uh, Forbes' top 50 women globally in tech, she was a top 10 CIO, top 100 digital shapers in Switzerland, top 10 influential IT women in Europe, and this is all in the last couple of years. She has plenty more in the background there, so I think you get the idea. And what makes Moni really so unique is that she's out there influencing global digital policies. She's tackling difficult, mind-warping topics like how to handle ethics in AI. She is one of the digital influencers who is shaping and changing how not only we will interact with technology today, but how our children and our grandchildren in the future will. And thankfully, we're very lucky because Monique is on a mission to help us figure out how to use tech for good. Now, I had such an interesting conversation with Monique that this is just part one, and I'll also release a part two because she had so many nuggets of information to share that we couldn't fit it all in one episode. So if you want to learn more about Monique, how she progressed in her really amazing stellar career and how she's shaping future work, I hope you enjoy listening to this part one episode of Level Up Your Leadership. With President of the Humanized Internet and the Vetry Foundation, Monique Mara. Monique, I'm thrilled to have you on the show today. It's a thrill
0: to be here, but
1: We got to know each other recently in a future of work panel discussion about the human factor in blockchain. And it was sponsored by Deloitte. So it was a really great event. I was the moderator and you were one of the panelists. And I have to tell you, I left that evening thinking, oh my gosh, this is a person who is truly, truly changing the world. And I was inspired. I couldn't sleep that night. And I thought, I have to get in touch with Monique. I have to get her on the show. And I need to pick your brain I wanna know how all of us can do more and do more good in the world.
0: So first of all, I wanna say, Lisa, it's a pleasure to be here. And also you did a fantastic job. It's not always said, but a fantastic job in moderating and, and preparing us for that wonderful panel and that wonderful discussion. So kudos to you and, and what you do. And yes, I'm looking forward to this particular discussion around technology, technology for good, and up in your game in, in the leadership space.
1: Fantastic. I I have the very first question that popped into my head because you've had this. Stellar career, And we're going to go through bits of it. CTO at Cisco. I mean, you're the president of not one, but two companies right now. But you actually have like that golden thread that goes through everything in your career. You've built it around aligning technologies to society's needs. Mm-hmm. What does that mean?
0: So, uh, yes. And one thing I will say is that your career is never going to be linear. I think we discussed that okay. at the panel. I believe that we have to embed some notion of social good in what we do in technology. As we know, or perhaps uh, so to state, we maybe we don't know, technology has no agency. It's all about looking at how we define what is the purpose of the technology itself? How is it intentionally or should be intentionally used? What kinds of problems should we as an industry be solving for society and this is not about Corporate uh, Social Responsibility, or CSR as we know it, is about all of us in the space being responsible and holding a a level of accountability for technology. There's just quite a bit of spaces and, let's say, opportunities that we need to solve for, especially in the humanitarian area.
1: And I'm glad that you mentioned that because, you know, I'm so impressed by at least one, but both of your companies, but this one about the humanized internet. It really embodies all of what you're saying, which is we take technology, we look at society's challenges, and we use the technology to create good. And maybe you can tell us a little bit more about this ambitious project that you're working on with the Humanized internet.
0: So right, the humanized internet is a Swiss-based nonprofit, and it really is focused around some buckets that we all care about. One of them is, your identity. This is around whether or not you're in control of your identity, sovereign identity. The other is around the uh, use of artificial intelligence uh, and ethics. And the third component is this component around, I would say, cybersecurity. So there, you can see some of its weaving, if you will. The notion around the humanized internet is to weave in a humanitarian purpose. Uh, one of the members in my uh, on the board happens to be a refugee. So when you talk about refugees in the space, you have to talk with you know people in mind. These are individuals. Some things can happen to you. Uh, one day you wake up. At, whether or not it's war, destruction, you know we can all say to some extent we may be refugees. We're just migrating constantly, and so um, people don't like particularly this kind of label. But it's looking at some of the problems that he experienced. For example, in the 21st century, it didn't matter that he had copies of uh, his documentation, whether it was his passport, whether it was his university degrees on Google Drive. When he got to Berlin, they simply were not accepted because people thought you could falsify it. And yes, that's a problem you know, with regards to documentation. But we need to think about how we can use technology like blockchain to credential. Whether or not you have something that happens to you in an earthquake or a hurricane, think about Puerto Rico, think about terrible earthquakes that happen in Italy, one day your documents, the institutions no longer exist. So Humanized Internet is around looking at how we solve for these big problems around the humanitarian space, but also I'm looking at how do we solve in terms of distributed storage of your documents instead of having them being held in a bank or a trezor or somewhere that you can think about some level of a digital storage box or lock box of some sort, and you can share the digital keys with close members of your family. It's a really hard problem to solve for, but I think we can get there.
1: Yeah, and exactly that. It's such a critical problem to solve for because what we're looking at right now is there are large organizations who basically own our data. That's their business model, right? So if you said banks, I'm thinking immediately what comes to mind is Facebook. Mm -hmm. And so that's their business model. What happens if we take back the ownership? What happens if we own our data? And that's what I love about the other organization that you're the president of, Vetri Foundation, because uh, one of the goals of what you're working on is how can people own their data and then, again, choose who they share it with and get rewarded.
0: Get rewarded. So I should demonstrate that to you after the interview. But what we're looking at with the Vetri Foundation is the frictionless exchange of data between data consumers being, for example, companies and you being the data owner. And by the way, we are talking about fair data trade. That's what we mean by frictionless. And you should be able to control in the next level where you want that data to go. It's not just that you, your attention, you can call it an attention token to some extent, is uh, interrupted and it's gamified and you're getting victory coins or, or, or whatever, but it's also lo- looking at how we can take this platform and rather than you trying to respond to all kinds of questions about, from all kinds of organizations, it's one central. It's, I don't want to say it's central because it's distributed. We never hold the data. But what it is, is that there will be consumers or companies that will be very interested in having an exchange with you. And that's up to you whether or not you want to have that exchange. But here's the thing. When we look and read, read the book uh, you know, by Shoshana Zuboff, this is the whole notion of uh, surveillance capitalism. It's more egregious than we care to think. These companies, whether or not they're Facebook or Google, we are just metadata, metadata, metadata. And we're living in this bubbled world and our data is being exploited. We have to take sort of control, some level of control of our data. I mean, it's being leaked and we hear about these egregious leaks all the time. So if we can now look at how we have a frictionless, let's say, level of exchange, it's gamified and we choose to participate in that exchange on the condition that we can control the flow of data. I mean, we see that happening in Estonia. You could say, I want to go to this doctor, but not that doctor. Then I think that takes us to a, a level up. The fear I have, or the concern I have in, in our society, is that people are so immune to being hacked. And they, they don't care until something egregious happens to them, until their bank account is emptied, until their identity is truly stolen, and then they have to work, really climb to, to get their identity back, to get uh, their level of what I'll call assets because you are a human asset back as an entity. So we are very proud of what we're doing at the Vetri Foundation with Vetri as a whole. We believe that uh, we're very much ahead of the game uh, in what we're doing. We believe also that we won't be the only uh, entities in our society to be kind of gravitating into this space. Which is a good thing, because it's not about about vet insofar as it's about an industry standard, people getting, you know, adopting to something called fair data trade. And fair data trade is really, really important. Do I trust these big companies to do fair data trade? Probably not. I think it's more important. This is about companies really self-policing. We've already seen how they self-police. They just don't. It's not, I have friends in all of these companies, but they just don't. We have to be able to say, we're responsible entities. And let me take it a step further. I was, if I may take it a step please, further. Please, I'm fascinated. I was uh, in a discussion yesterday with a uh, lady who was actually involved with a particular organization. She also wants to look at Vetri, and this is around children's rights, because children, uh, digital rights, children, they're the most underserved. They are actually getting uh, quite, uh, we would say, poached on by pedophiles, especially online. So how do we now look at creating some kind of institution or node here in, in Switzerland where you would look at people caring about children's rights, watching what's going on on the network, and having and advising parents and and young adults and children on responsible use of technology? So could we see an intersection here with regard to data privacy because it's also a delete and this frictionless exchange of data where it's gamified? I think we're going to see that more and more.
1: You know, I have to take a step back and just ask, how do you think so broadly about technology? This is not like, how do we use it today? You're saying we're the first company or one of the first companies doing this because we're thinking about the future. How do you think so broadly and so big? Yeah. And wrap your head around that. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, let's break it down a little bit.
0: First of all, it's not like you sit in a room and sort of ruminate. I think it's more about I'm personally an observer of how people use technology. I also believe that uh, just on a personal side of learning is lifelong. I'm also humbled when I, I look at somebody who is uh, of a certain age, we don't care, uh, understanding how they use technology. I think it's very, very important to, to look, at, look at geographies, travel, and also you know, uh, it's important for people to read. I think it's a read and, and continuously have the exchange and live this kind of situation where we see or can see, for me, looking at how we can solve for very interesting problems. I just constantly am very curious, posing, posing questions of why, why not, how can we, you know, are the institutions that we know and love today valid institutions? I was just recently in an event last Thursday where we were asking the question of, gee, you know, we're migrating people. And I go back to the migration situation because it's been predicted because of climate change, people will be migrating, gosh, constantly in, you know, 2050 and beyond. So we're going to see the situation of migration. And unfortunately, it plays out to a very negative political, you know, narrative. But what we were looking at is uh, a situation, for example, between Venezuela and Colombia, you know, how do you deal, how do you create corridors where people just have the right to work? When our forefathers traveled to the United States of America, which they did, they just, they came with a dream to do something. And and could we not keep that spirit? Because it's about the spirit, not so much as the technology alive, and say, hey, these people have the right to work. Because what's happening now in the situation in Venezuela, which is a horrific situation, you have people who, women particularly, women and children are hugely vulnerable. Women, particularly, who, who have studied law or lawyers, and they're crossing the Venezuelan Colombian Venezuela and Colombia border to prostitute themselves because they can't feed their family anymore. So, could we not have a will to create corridors of you have the right to work? Most of the people I met, whether or not they were in refugee camps in Jordan or happened to be in these circumstance situations, want to contribute to society. And we certainly have technology as enablers to do that. So for me, it's about you know, looking at the institutions we have and to be able to challenge this institution
1: and I'm curious to know did you get this love of thinking globally being curious thinking about people in other countries did you get that from your parents because I know your mom is from Lebanon your dad is American you've now been living in Europe since the 90s are are you a global person
0: yes uh, I I would say I'm a global person growing up speaking a, a couple of languages and representing, I think, what the melting pot is, particularly in the United States. And of course, traveling quite a bit has opened my eyes up. I mean, I've been traveling since I was born, but I spent a year in Paris as a student abroad, which I think if everybody can afford to do a gap year, they should, because it really just broadens your scope in terms of how you see the world and how, you know, sort of learn a little bit. So, yeah, I I think the global view has been really important. And through my stint at Cisco, which were 16 wonderful years, I spent uh, five hybrid years in Hong Kong. And so I had responsibility for half of the world. I mean, I was in India, Southeast Asia, China, Australia, New Zealand, Japan. And if anything, it's tested my colleagues' knowledge of geography, which, you know, uh, I think this intersectionality between Social sciences, computer science, political science, philosophy is coming back together again. We should be thinking in those terms in terms of an education.
1: Which exactly brings me to something that really piqued my curiosity when I was learning more about you is you don't actually have a technology background. You studied French. (laughs) That's right. So
0: we and I, I like to say I am an accidental engineer. I mean my aspiration during the time was to actually go into the diplomatic world. Now, the diplomatic world actually helps me when I'm actually looking at how we deal with technology at a UN level. But, you know, here you are with this undergraduate degree in Silicon Valley, and what do you do? Uh, So it was a bit of luck. It was uh, a bit of a challenge and uh, a bit of luck, I would say, where I got into a semiconductor company, which is hugely conservative, and discovered this immense world of networking, which was quite nascent at the time. Cisco was a private company at that particular time, and I fell in love with it. So I just, networking was the way to go. I went on to get another master's degree. I mean, you know, this is what I mean. Go on to get, you know, your certifications and and credentials to make yourself credible in the the industry and learned so much about what this internet was all about and uh, continued. And so that undergraduate degree, coupled with a couple of master's degrees, I'm just getting a new one, a Master's of Science and Digital Currency at the University of Nicosia. I will be participating in the graduation ceremonies on June 27th. So there you go. I mean, yeah, I like to think about what I don't know, I don't know. So yes, an accidental engineer, at the time, you know, if we look at ourselves in the mid-80s, there were just no forebears, right, I mean, just, especially for women. In a hugely conservative company like a semiconductor firm. But I was working with extraordinary colleagues. And I have to say, this is extremely important for me to say, my best coaches and mentors, I would say, yeah, best coaches and mentors have been men. And uh, basically have pushed me to go beyond my comfort zone. I hate to use that term comfort zone, but really pushed me to say, look, you can do this and really fed in my curiosity of how wonderful this technology can work. And I'm giving back in terms of mentorship and coaching. And by the way, because you are a coach, I do believe in coaching. I believe coaches are lifelong. I have a coach. Cisco uh, actually institutionalized coaching, which I think is extremely important because it's all about you facing your own. you know it's a reflection, your own challenges, what are the triggers that you have to care about that may be negative. These are things that we have to work on for our
1: lifeline. Well thank you for adding that in because I really I know I'm biased but I really believe that if you're human you have blind spots, you have fears, you have doubts, you have insecurities. Sorry if your brain is functioning normally that's what you have and coaches and mentors and you know great colleagues can help you break past that and it sounds like maybe even in the face of you know, being in a male-dominated field and in an industry that's tricky without, you know, the initially the educational background that you found support networks and you've just found ways to keep moving forward by following your curiosity. Yes, I mean, so kudos to coaching.
0: Let's, let's just <laughs> say that for the moment. For all those people listening, get a coach. And we have, I'm speaking to a wonderful one now. Uh, I think that you, you just thought of something that's very, very important. It is male-dominated dentistry. And the statistics are going in a negative way, unfortunately. And I think it's not because we want to portray women as victims here. It's because women are trying to come into an organization that just wasn't meant for them, especially if they're parents uh, or they have partners and so on and so forth. You have to look at how the foundation is. And when we're talking about, for example, a glass ceiling here, we're talking about a glass cliff. Because when they leave the institution or technology groups, because it can be brutal, they leave for good. And there has to be a study of a correlation of loss of talent here. I mean, I know there have been some studies, that, especially at, the, at Stanford University. They're looking how do you define that? How do you define masculinity? Um, those types of interesting social science problems that we have to look at. Um, how can we make it a very welcoming organization? and without this sort of brutal way that uh, sometimes I had encountered in the beginning, how people talk with one another. And so it's, you know, there is a jargon that you have to learn, et cetera, et cetera. But I think what we have to do is change the the game a bit. And I believe that men, extraordinary, have to be part of this great conversation, particularly because it's all about the ant here. And then you can break it down to authenticity, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The way I couch or frame up this level of discussion is basically to say, is the organization that you are building reflective of the society around you? And if not, that's already a red flag. So we have to constantly question ourselves, especially if we're founders, especially if we're dealing with teams and developers, you know, we have to constantly believe that this is, you know, the power of anti is extraordinarily important. And I go back to women and children because they're most vulnerable in, in these situations. And then you can actually couch it with ageism, who gets thrown out first and how and why and so on and so forth. What we have to look at, what is really fundamental in this entire discussion is dignity. The dignity of work, the dignity of organizations, the dignity of how we communicate with one another.
1: And I noticed that each time you speak, so we're talking about, okay, how was your career? How did you get up? And instantly, you almost sort of zoom out and you see the bigger picture. Well, what's the culture like there? What's the culture like Mm -hmm. of the whole society? You know, what is this really about? This is about dignity. How do you go or how can other people who are listening go from whatever is happening in their everyday life and start to get that bigger picture and to use that bigger picture to help them persevere in the face of whatever they're facing in the moment. Well, I think
0: the situation that we're faced with uh, at a macroeconomic viewpoint is that people who are in organizations who or in traditional companies, I'll put traditional companies, there are some people who are there because of very strong economic reasons, and they have fear. They see the stuff around them, maybe they don't like it, and we know that you're good and, and so far the relationship you have with your manager and so on and so forth. I mean, I make a distinction between leaders and managers. Leaders are really inspiring. I mean, they're, they're inspiring all the way through each of us, whether or not your developers have, have that potential for leadership, let's start with that. Number one, number two, if the culture is that toxic and you go home and you have ulcers and you can't focus, then you have to think about maybe just leaving and of course, it's easier said than done. I mean, I had a chance to actually step in from a very traditional enterprise company, which had, had been very good to me, to go into a sort of the startup NGO kind of world and to learn what that is like because you really want to follow what it is you can do better and develop and grow. And I would have to say in that path, I did it. I mean, I, I really went into... You know, this green pill and blue pill, well, it's somebody called it a violet pill. I think it's very important to say that I really stepped up, but I have grown as a result of it. And don't think for one minute that I had to dig deep. I mean, really deep for courage. It wasn't that easy to do that because people can just be very comfortable with this. I'm here for the moment and I'm taking the check because I had to take the check. But what happens when the rug is pulled underneath you you have to think about, you know, what is plan B, what is plan C, and plan B. So question the culture around you. If it's toxic, look at alternatives to exit out, have an exit strategy also, and being able to, you know, eventually learn from that, grow from that, and also um, monetize what it is you do at the end of the day, because we, we want to do that. I mean, we don't live here for free. We have to be able to think about what monetization looks like.
1: I'm so glad that you mentioned that it took a lot of courage because so often what we all look at externally, we go, wow, Monique, huge success, incredible. She must never be scared. She must know what she's doing. She must have it all together, right? And of course, like I said, as long as you're human and your brain is functioning normally, you have fears and doubts as well. So I think it would help everyone to feel better, but specifically me. (laughs) What was the biggest fear or challenge or moment when you were like, panicked, this is not going to work? I think it's fear. It's always fear of failure. We actually put
0: a lot of pressure on ourselves. We want to be sort of perceived as, you know, you are constantly this, What? how do we define success? That was one. The other one is fear of the unknown, because you are now stepping into an abyss that is completely different. And you have to really think about when you're in a startup kind of world, there's no Saturday, Sunday, because it's constant. You know, you're know, you looking at the next thing and the next thing. But at the same token, you have to be able to create some kind of healthy lifestyle around you. Because if you don't, you can be consumed, subsumed by all of that. You know, the thing of it is, is that you don't have this, you have a variable, uh, you know, your income can be extraordinarily variable. And so you have to look at how you handle that reality. And then of course, with it, you have to think about, how can I grow? I mean, what are the areas where I can grow? Could I be writing a book or co-writing a book, which we are? Could I be doing X, Y, Z in a space of, or tackling a particular problem, which we can, which we, a group of us did with MIT Solve in Frontlines for Healthcare and how we use the narrative of, you know, shortage of caregivers in this world. And could we not credential, for example, work with refugees in that space? So, but with it in mind, when you're operating a foundation or a nonprofit, it's a business. That's an important thing to state. It has a different model, but it's a business. And you come with a, a different type of skills that you've learned from it. And I would say you're not uh, limited by what a corporate requires of you or from you. So uh, I think that's been enriching, but really, really, really the fear factor had kicked in. You know, I had sleepless nights. Gee, really sleepless nights. But I think uh, when you go through it and you continuously to go through it, you grow as a result. I have to state that categorically you do. You have to get your narrative out there. You have to get your brand out there. You have to look at how you solve for a problem out there. You have to be able to collaborate very strongly, partner, because this is an ecosystem waiting for people to to solve for very, very hairy problems.
1: Thanks for listening to another episode of Level Up Your Leadership. If you're interested in learning more about today's guests and the topics we've discussed, Check out the show notes on www.lisakristen.com slash podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please go to iTunes to subscribe. While you're there, it'd be great if you could rate and review the show. And if you really like the show, I would appreciate it if you shared the word on social media. As always, thanks again for listening.